you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Susan Rosen, and I have one of my favorite guests back on the podcast today, Dr. Chris Nazola. And today we are going to be talking about andropause. And I will let Chris explain exactly what that is. She's the, uh, the educated one here in medicine. <laughs> well, thanks so much Welcome. again. Thank you yeah. very much. I really enjoy our conversations. And andropause is definitely a, um, as we were mentioning before, um, we were chatting before this, but it's a controversial topic. Um, it's considered the, some people call it the male menopause. Some of the other names are viropause, um, hypoandrogenism, and um, androgen deficiency. It has a whole series of huh. names, but it's the same concept that um, male, uh, the male counterpart of menopause happening in around your 50s or 60s. And so um, there's definitely some controversy about how much it's experienced and not everybody experiences it in the same way. Mm. I think the difference where it's a little bit harder to pin down is that men's hormones really decrease on a gradual, in a gradual fashion, unlike women's. So after the age of 30, testosterone decreases by about 1% per year. And so, whereas with, um, in the female menopause or the traditional menopause that we talk about, there's a very fast drop in hormones thought to create these symptoms. Now, also what the other challenge with um, having exact uh, numbers with it is that most people say they don't experience the symptoms or we're not sure if men don't report the symptoms, which is also something common, but for those who do, uh, some of the symptoms are familiar to what we've already heard. There's definitely a, a mental function change, people being forgetful, sleeping problems, um, a loss of strength, gain of adiposity, you know, gaining weight, losing muscle mass, um, sexual uh, function problems, and a whole host. There's also some people experience even night sweats. Huh. So, yeah. And so it's definitely thought that after the age of 60, just 20% of men experience what's called hypogonadism, which is more of the medical term for it. So they have low testosterone. And then it's another number. Again, these are debated depending on the research is men over 80, 50% of men over 80 experience or have low testosterone. Ah, okay. Yeah. Huh. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not like women where it just kind of goes at a certain point. I mean, ours kind of goes down, 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 and then off a cliff kind of. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's that gradual decline. And then the other thing um, that is confounding about it is as it's declining, some men do experience a drop. And the reason that could be is um, because, you know, high blood sugar, uh, being obese, all of these things, type two diabetes, depression, they could be, you know, something masking the idea, Uh you know, one can lead to another and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So especially having insulin problems or high blood sugar problems could impact your body's ability to create, especially in men, testosterone. And so it's, it's hard to, this is one of the reasons you want to work with someone that knows you well and a healthcare practitioner Mm -hmm. is to parse out all of these underlying conditions that could be masked masquerading as andropause or is it Mm -hmm. the andropause leading to these things and that's where it's uh it's worth kind of uh working diligently to see really what's going on Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no that that's yeah that is that is interesting because isn't i don't i don't remember if this is just for women or is this women or men um isn't there something about being overweight that creates some hormones? Yes. Yeah. So um, one of my uh, colleagues loves to say uh, visceral fat, you know, the fat around our organs is not your friend. Um, My colleague, Dr. Yarnell loves to say that. And that's because that type of fat creates a lot of what we call inflammatory markers, Mm -hmm. basically messenger chemicals that Mm -hmm. lead to inflammation and that can actually suppress your not only the uh, the hormones that lead to then secretion of testosterone, but that also um, in uh, in women can disrupt just the chemical signaling that leads to hormone production. So having that visceral fat around is really problematic on many fronts. The other thing that having the fat around does is there's something called aromatase. And it's an enzyme in high concentrations in that fat tissue. And that will actually take testosterone and change it into estrogen. And so it kind of steals. So if you had the testosterone, even a a level around that is adequate, it can then convert it to something that is not um, beneficial in the long run. So it can lead to larger breast size and, and then, you know, make further problems that itself can suppress the um, hormones in the pituitary and the hypothalamus from signaling to make more testosterone. Mm, Okay. So there's an association there. So definitely weight loss is one thing that is top of mind for, you know, when, if you think you are going down this road and having these symptoms, it's worth Mm -hmm. taking a look at how to reduce that visceral fat, because it's, you know, this is the fat around our organs is different. The fat that we have in our arm or our mm-hmm. thighs does respond more to messenger chemicals that say satiety, basically chemical uh-huh. messengers, but this okay. brown fat, I mean, excuse me, the uh, visceral fat does not respond to these. So uh, okay. yeah, definitely. Um, we want ourselves to be able to tell us when we're full enough. And this is not the type of thing that can has a good feedback loop. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that, and that's for women as well as men, right? It is estrogen. It is, which isn't any better really for, for women than it is for men. 
just in excess. No, again, it's a balance. And the other thing that over time will, we are consistently seeing more and more research around is that a lot of the environmental chemicals, whether it's Mm -hmm. pesticides or plastics really have the same chemical structures as estrogen. So in that case, men are being exposed to these xenoestrogens, we call them from the environment. And that's another thing that can either contribute to this overall excess of estrogen Mm -hmm. and why you want to have, I obviously decrease your exposure, but have a, a good way to process and to stay healthy so that you're not just building up all of the estrogen in your body and suppressing your testosterone further. Okay. No, no, then that makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially because there are so many other downsides or whatever you want to call it of, of gaining weight, right? I mean, a lot of times people gain weight because they're not exercising, but then it gets to a point where they can't exercise because of the extra weight that they're carrying. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's a catch 22 kind of thing. Right. And that's what um, we see as well as on the one hand, when your testosterone is low and that can contribute to your, you um, having excess weight, but then Mm -hmm. the excess weight back then has a problem with the testosterone. Like it's a bi-directional situation where having one or the other, they impact each other. So Hmm. the the more you can um, get off that ladder. (laughs) and start building a a healthy regimen, the better off uh, the cycle will be. Yeah, no, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So are there other things that are more unique to men going through the andropause than women going through the menopause? Are there there any other differences? Primarily, I would say the, um, the notice in, uh, there's more of a mention of fatigue and that loss of kind of motivation. Um, definitely a noticeable um, difference in sexual drive, mm. those things and the ability to um, the notice in muscle mass loss, things of that nature, loss of strength uh-huh. are more unique. Interesting. Okay. Okay. And is some of that a result as well of the, the, that little chain reaction kind of thing of, of not working out and, you know, not doing strength training, which men typically do a little bit more of than, than women do. Yes. The the strength training, interestingly, is also contributes well to good blood sugar control. So part of what we see is later on in life, the it's somewhat a societal thing, but people starting to go into that metabolic syndrome, hypertension, mm-hmm. high blood sugar, um, diabetes, mm-hmm. uh, diabetes two, moving in that direction definitely then creates a loss of strength and, and is a reinforcing in the wrong direction. So I would say that it's especially noticeable in that. And mm-hmm. so doing the strength training surprisingly uh, creates a uh, positive effect on your blood sugar of all the things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Besides just making you fit. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and the, cause I have been, it seems 
lately there's been a lot more, and maybe it's because of everybody being at home, but there's been a lot more information out there about how important strength training is mm-hmm. for both men and women, actually. Um, because just just because it, it affects everything. Yes. You know, the way the way your your muscles work is the same way that your heart works, the same way that, you know, other other things, you know. Um, yes. as well as your brain. Absolutely. And in terms of, I would say, um, actually, this is one thing that they've noticed as well, is um, because it's the physiological changes also can occur that um, basically, you can have also testicular atrophy. And that's something that's unique and obviously different. And atrophy externally that's more uh, visible and noticeable but in addition to that there's risks for men that are taking testosterone for developing sleep apnea or it's associated with sleep apnea so that's a symptom that you want to watch to make sure for folks that are doing those therapies they're definitely going that route there are a lot of things that you want to monitor to make sure that it's Hmm. those hormone therapies are not exacerbating certain things that we don't necessarily immediately think of with um, the uh, female menopause treatment. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I didn't realize, I didn't even realize that they gave testosterone for sleep apnea. Oh no, they give for folks that are, who have andropause symptoms that are using testosterone therapy to treat those symptoms, then there's a whole host of other things that they need to, folks need to track to make sure. Oh, I see. So in women, it's not necessarily that you're watching for a sleep apnea, but, Uh uh, but with testosterone treatment, you want to watch that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's um, well, and we've talked about this before. It's just amazing how much everything is all connected. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's like playing whack-a-mole, right? Push it down over here, it pops up over there. Yes, <laughs> right. And that's that's exactly it. And so there, you know, when it comes to, for example, erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. if uh, that's something that the number one cause of that is not uh, low testosterone, it's often BPH, so benign prostatic hyperplasia. Okay. So part of the whack-a-mole issue as well is like, are you really treating the the thing that's really the underlying Mm -hmm. cause? And so for folks that have andropause looking to just, if you just jump to the hormone without looking underneath at what's going on, then you will, then problems will crop up again in other areas, but it's better if you can do a full evaluation first and address the root cause of what's going on so that then you're not playing catch up. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's some not... of this. No, go sorry. Ahead. I was just going to say it's amazing how uh, some of the symptoms are very similar in that men also experience bone loss. Uh, a lot of oh. some of the first uh, they notice it by increased bone fractures, things like that. So it's surprisingly uh, similar uh, male female menopause. Well, isn't, wouldn't a lot of that also be related to the not doing the strength training and other kinds yes. of exercise? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So a lot of the things just to, there's a lot of um, lifestyle and exercise component to this, that not only would it treat this, if you were experiencing the andropause symptoms, but just overall general health and well-being, the mm-hmm. strength training, cardiovascular issues also are a risk for having low testosterone, but then there's some research that, you know, too much testosterone may not be good either. So again, it's the balance and making sure you're fit for your, you know, for staying healthy at your age. Yeah. Um, And then there's a huge dietary component as well in that if you had diabetes, metabolic Mm. syndrome, insulin problems, Mm -hmm. these are the things that correcting them not only improve your overall health, but then would improve your hormonal balance as well. Right, right. Which makes makes a lot of sense. Um, And and the other part of that as well is that um, once you do start getting more exercise or doing these other things and you start improving on that side, then you have to make sure that you go and stay in touch with your doctor. Mm -hmm. Right. Because what your pharmaceuticals or anything else that you're getting or doing may not be helping at a certain point. Right. Yes. Because you've gotten better in some ways. Yeah. I think one of the, misconceptions people have is as whenever you start any regimen that that's a static situation and that changes it never changes and one of the benefits of having a relationship with someone that you can check in with is as we get healthier or as we age or at any point throughout our lives our internal chemistry might get altered and then things that used to work may not work as well. They may need switching out. Mm -hmm. And that's really for anything, whether it's pharmaceutical or natural, these, we are dynamic beings and we are going to need our um, regimen changed and to change dynamically with us. And so, um, for example, for folks that are truly improving their blood sugar regulation via diet and exercise, they may not need as much metformin over time, you know, or, or certain formulas or balance of things that they're taking may no longer be as helpful. So they just always need adjusting and checking in. Mm-hmm. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, especially as you get older, no, get older, right? Because your blood vessels can get start getting a little weaker or not. And, you know, and then there's all the cholesterol stuff that everyone's always going crazy around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, giving prescriptions for, and, and it's so much healthier to, if you can handle it with diet and exercise, which, yes. is, which for most people is possible. I mean, it's, but, but again, you want to, you know, work with your doctor so that they can adjust your medications. Yes. Yeah. And surprisingly, even when it comes to dietary interventions, mm-hmm. some people in controlling blood sugar, for example, to help with low T or um, andropause, different diets work for different folks. We know that research has borne out that a low fat diet hasn't been particularly helpful in that, (laughs) 
Um, and then some folks really respond well to a Mediterranean diet, some people really well to a paleo diet. There's always food intolerances that require customization so that your body is not creating excess inflammation that then makes this cascade even worse. Mm. So there's a lot to be said for customizing a plan that works for you and, and making sure even down to the level of exercise or the weights that you're doing, making sure that you're um, doing the amount that your own personal body can handle and not like injuring yourself, which then <laughs> is definitely uh, would then throw you off your regimen for a longer time. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm, I'm looking at those bigger weights thinking I'm going <laughs> to lift them, but it does take time to, uh, to build up that strength. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and depending on whether you're going to the gym or you've got the weights at home, there's mm-hmm. a difference as well. Right. Because I know like for, for us here, we have a bunch of different weights and I have, you know, a couple of five pound weights and a couple of two pound weights mm-hmm. and and I want to go up to a 10 pound weight, but the next thing we have is, is probably about 12 or 14 and I just can't, it's too heavy. Right. Yeah. So, so what I have on my list now is to go out to Amazon or wherever and get myself a couple of 10 pound weights so I can go to the next level and then get on the right. other weights that we have. Yes. I know it's yeah. cause, cause that's how you hurt yourself is trying to, trying to even just trying once or twice to pick up some of these weights um it, it can it can be difficult it can be very difficult and it's very easy or or you think it's easy and then you do you know too many of them right yes and yeah and then it um it takes it can take a while to recover from that yeah yeah and you have to start all over mm-hmm and that's part of it too, is making sure that you get enough protein in your diet because mm. working out definitely, you know, there, we all see a lot of, uh, a lot of products on the market with protein muscle builders and you have to find something that works for you and make sure that for your body type, you're getting adequate protein to be able to keep up with all the you know, weightlifting or exercise that you're doing because all of that requires building and repair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, and then you have to be careful too, because not everybody can take all the stuff that's got all the arginine in it, which most people don't know about, which is all the, the stuff, you know, from the, um, from beef. And actually there's even, it's even in some plants and stuff that yes. people have, you know, extenuating circumstances, like they get cold sores or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll try the protein and then all of a sudden they're getting cold sores all the time. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, there's just so many, there's so many connections. There are. And the arginine story is a bit of a uh, unfortunate one because a lot of things like nuts and chocolate and things that we like to enjoy that are typically healthy for us, uh, if you have uh, herpes simplex, if you have herpes uh, and are a carrier, which many, many people do, then mm-hmm. balancing that out with lysine or, you know, seeing what works for you 
in terms of yeah. amount um, mm -hmm. is challenging. But yes, uh, protein powders do have a lot of arginine and it. it's a way to get it in quickly. And it does have some uh, vessel dilating properties and good things that it's doing. But yeah. for herpes, it can be challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So in terms of um, the andropause itself, like I said, diet and lifestyle Mm -hmm. and exercise make a big difference. Um, definitely not ignoring underlying issues or things that are, uh, if, if there's uncontrolled blood sugar, definitely something to look at. Then it also impacts lipids. Um, mm -hmm. But for folks that are using hormones, it's there are definitely a lot of things to take a look at. Measuring um, PSA, for example, to measure for oh, prostate okay. cancer, yeah. um, having a uh, prostate exams and making sure that the hormonal system and the, um, the, uh, there are no underlying problems that are being ignored because mm. just giving the hormone itself may be kind of papering over underlying issues. And as with, uh, we were talking about with estrogen and progesterone, you just don't want to go ahead and, and do that without looking at other things as yeah. well that might contribute to well-being and require mm -hmm. healing mm -hmm. no absolutely absolutely and sometimes people need both of the hormones right it may not just be estrogen or progesterone, yes right? mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah that's was an interesting there have studies where um especially in there's definitely studies who show some women respond very well to a combination. Some people, you know, with hormones in general, including the testosterone in males, they mm -hmm. found that um, depression is definitely a, a main issue that men have reported. And in people who had either high or low, they had depression symptoms. And huh. so it's not really so easy to say. That's why it has to be individualized yeah. that um, we can't pin down a specific level or type of uh, hormone. Even the delivery mechanism works better for others than some huh. than others. Yeah. And so it's a uh, hormones are highly individualized and experiential and uh, require a feedback loop. So there's some trial and error uh, uh -huh. to be done and, and to see how it's working for the person. Well, that, that's so good to know, because I think a lot of, a lot of people, men and women, you know, we, we hear from other people or we read about, you know, in some of the magazines and stuff. And we think that, oh, you know, if, if we're getting depressed and we need estrogen mm -hmm. and then you go into the doctor and the doctor says, oh no, your estrogen levels are fine but they don't take the next step to try and figure out, well, you know, maybe, maybe they're too high. Maybe there's something else that, that somebody's missing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I find one area of research that's really exciting is around the microbiome. So mm -hmm. the bacteria we have in our gut and it's been quite a few years now that we've known the digestive tract and the microbes within it make about 70% of our serotonin. And even though it makes big splashy news when it comes out of these, this information, I think we're still far ahead of it being a common thing. People start to, um, to check and, 
and really start to focus on because our digestion really is a central and key part of keeping us healthy, not only on the mental front, but um, detoxifying our hormones, you know, making sure we get enough nutrients in. If our digestion isn't working well, we're not absorbing our fats, our proteins well enough to then have a positive impact on our hormonal system. And then as most of us in California are experiencing with the fires and the smoke, there's, we really need to become very good detoxifiers of what we're being exposed to. And that's one of our primary, along with the kidneys, one of our two primary routes of getting things out of our bodies. So I think it's an often underlooked aspect, not to, not only for our mental health, but I think over the years, we're going to see how important our digestive health is in impacting our health, hormonal health. The, um, I know there's a lot of people who, who started referring to the microbiome actually as, as your brain. Uh-huh. The second brain, right? Yeah. The second brain. Well, actually, this is the kind of the first, the main brain. And then that's your, yes. your second <laughs> brain. And I was reading somewhere and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's something like like what, 10 times as many messages get sent up from the microbiome to the brain as from the brain down. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, It may be more than that. Yeah. We thought it was an equal bi-directional thing, but it's actually more one way than we've expected. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is. It is. So out of curiosity, do you have you had much much experience with some of these you know those things where you can go in and buy the kit or whatever it is and go have it you know you send your little sample in and then they tell you um you know what things you have wrong or other you know that you can do on your own are you familiar with any of those i I can't remember do a lot of stool testing Okay. Um, I have a few labs where I, I have a good experience with and I use. Uh-huh. And so I do have patients at home do their own, uh, take their own samples and send it in. And then we look at what's okay. how okay. they're processing. Yeah. yeah. But some of some of these are like they're like ads in magazines, you know, or again, articles or something. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, here's five of them that you could send your own. You know, you can have this this kind of testing done or that kind of testing done. And um, I know before, I don't know how it is now, but I know before it was starting to get very popular. Right? Mm-hmm. That's where people were all all doing it themselves, and then they, these companies were telling people, you know, oh yeah, eat more of this or eat less of that, or oh you're allergic to this or yeah, all that kind of stuff. I think in the a lot of, uh, as many doctors do, we have continuing education on this and definitely by lab, there are methods that are more reliable than others. Okay. So that's where I have certain laboratories where I know yeah. exactly how they're processing these tests. Sometimes because you can me- measure uh, genetic material in a stool mm. test, which some of them are doing, uh-huh. Those can have indications like you can use them in certain instances, but they're not helpful in others. So you really mm. have to know what the technique is okay. that they're using and if it's appropriate Got for it. how it's being used. Yeah. So 
okay. there are certain ways, for example, if you're testing for celiac disease, mm-hmm. there are many ways you can test it, but some are more reliable than others. And that's part of what I think is useful in working with someone because they can parse yes. through just because it's giving you an indication how reliable is that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. And that, and that's, yeah, that, that's what I was kind of wondering because it's, I mean, otherwise it's like you say, there's no one to interpret it for you mm-hmm. or to know what's, <clears throat> excuse me, which, what's the strength of that particular company yes. or, or, Hey, you know, we don't want to use that one because they're not very good in that area, but oh boy, if you had this other problem, boy, that's where I'd send it Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, right. we definitely, a lot of folks talk about um, a lot of, you look at the research and what the sensitivity and specificity mm. is for a test and, and what the appropriate, and sometimes, okay. you know, sometimes you want to retest. There are situations yes. where the sample itself uh, is not as, uh, it didn't make it to the lab for some reason, and it got corrupted on the way. And mm. then when you look at it, often, if you have an enough experience running these tests you realize when they need to be rerun and mm-hmm. and all of that and mm-hmm. i would say one of the challenges you have when you run these tests in general is you want them to be accurate especially when it comes to food intolerance because yeah. it can create food phobias for folks and sometimes mm-hmm. it's the the fact that your microbiome is out of balance, causing uh-huh. reactions to food. Right. Once you correct that, then you're no longer yep. reacting to it. Yep. 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 And yep. so you don't want to have to avoid your favorite foods because there's yeah. a challenge. There's something misunderstood about that. And then suddenly right. you're. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. I know when I developed all my allergies, um, you know, I was allergic to everything, you know, or half of everything that I was eating. Right. But mm. then I stopped and did the whole challenge test thing. Mm. And then it, it became obvious that there were really two big things. And then there were like three or four others. And that was it. Mm. Right. And then things that I thought I was allergic to all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, they didn't bother me anymore because I had stopped yeah. those other major major allergies you know I couldn't do yeah dairy and and um anything from a cow still still not and and wheat the the big the usual biggies that that people are allergic to Mm -hmm. so yeah back to your point of everything being interrelated I think uh once you have an inflammatory process going on it can then make everything hyper react yeah, And so it's important to identify and experiment, you know, with a few things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there is a very careful process of removing things out right. of the diet, introducing them in, in a way that will give you the information accurately mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that then will give you a clearer picture. Yeah. And often, you know, that's a very tough situation to be in when you react to half the things that you're eating. And so... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that many people yeah. are motivated and much prefer identifying the, the smaller number yeah. that then calms yeah. everything else yeah. down and you can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it can change. That's the other thing. I mean, as, yes. as we get older. Yes. Right. Um, you don't eat something for a long enough time 
then even if you do eat it, usually it's not, it doesn't bother you, but sometimes it still will. Yes. You know? Yes. It's so, and it's so individual. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. Time. But I, I think we will see more research around how the microbiome, it does change as we age and in different phases of life and different environments mm-hmm. that we're in. So we might see that the microbiome processing of these foods over time also, I mean, we are the yeah. microbes that we carry as well. Yeah. Maybe that's one of those things that's driving the change in what we can eat throughout our lives. Yeah, no, and, and I would not be surprised at all mm-hmm. if, that, if that happened. And, and probably is tied into all the, um, the hormones as well. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised. Again, there's a bi-directional relationship. The hormones impact the microbiome mm-hmm. and then the microbiome is in, in turn impacting the hormones. So mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, that's something if I were to say that men should definitely be aware of, uh, pay attention to that digestion because it makes a real difference. So in terms of uh, just to go back to the things that they complain most about, Uh are more around the the strength and the sexual uh, problems and Mm -hmm. maybe the sleep issues. But I have a experience and a a sense that maybe there are a lot more underlying issues that may not be mentioned as many of us go to the doctor and and may uh, not have these front of mind, but these are contributing things that are very important to their hormonal system as well. Right. Right, right. Or we even forget, you know, if we don't make ourselves a list of the things yes. we wanted to talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you for, totally forget to mention something that could very well be something that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it, it's really helpful to have someone who knows you well and to go through and kind of go through just overall well-being mm-hmm. and different systems because like you said it's all interrelated so yeah. um, parsing these things out they eventually bubble up but they just might take time to unravel yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah no that it it makes so much it makes so much sense yeah to try and and be seeing the same person mm-hmm. for longer periods of time yeah that relationship is a is an important one And um, we also see over time that obesity itself changes the microbiome, but there are times where they've taken, this is rat research in mice, um, they've taken microbiota, so microbes from fat mice and put Mm. them into thin mice and then the thin mice gain the weight. So we'll have to see this research kind of developing over time to see will we have just probiotics there right now there are things on the market where they're considered microbes that help regulate these Uh metabolic and and right our ability to uh to burn off fat are the microbes certain ones going to help us with that okay okay interesting yeah and and hopefully they'll get better as well in um making it so that they so that all of the pills break down and mm-hmm. are actually you can use the the things and they break down in the right place right yes 
<laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a whole different discussion and a complicated thing that um, folks are working through with with varying levels of of success. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's so personal. Yes. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, that, that's a discussion for another another podcast. I think talking about that those kinds of things. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's one of the things with the stool testing that you that I find helpful is to, in many folks, either stress or diet, lifestyle, um, pharmaceuticals, lot, lots of things they're doing and taking. Um, sometimes you have beneficial bacteria that's really absent. And so when you take a look at that and you try to replenish, but you have a, a place then to start, when you see mm-hmm. the lay of the land, you can then have a better idea of how to change that into a change it to a positive direction. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Yeah. But that's yeah. a evolving. And I think a really exciting new area of research. Yes, yes, yes. And it's, and it's, it is interesting because it's taken a while for the, the more traditional parts of medicine to start saying, oh, yeah, ooh, well, maybe, maybe that can help. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, you know, you're, you being a, a naturopath and are a little more, I don't want to say on the outside, but a little more um, aware of some of these changes and, and, and um, not just the medications, but just the whole way of looking at, at the body. Mm-hmm than than a lot of the traditional MDs that come out of some of the medical schools. So, yeah, I think in general, I, I medicine is moving into a more holistic, multi-system mm-hmm. kind yep. of uh, direction, and I think that will be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, and yeah, and in andropause as well. It's it, it's going to take a while. There's still quite a bit of controversy around it, and a whole bunch of practitioners still trying to um, with various opinions on it and how to treat it. So that will be an area yeah. as well. I think we'll, we'll see, have a more holistic approach and, and we'll be uh-huh. developing over time. There's also lots of research to do in this area as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, I think that women got a lot more attention yes. with menopause. Mm-hmm than the men ever did yeah now now they're at the point where they're kind of catch starting to catch up a little bit not quite there yet probably but close no no yeah I think especially the area for exactly how um, glucose levels impact Mm. um, hypo uh, low testosterone Mm -hmm. uh, folks I think there's a huge area of research that still needs to be done so Hopefully in a few years, we can have this conversation again with yeah. a, a whole host of other data points to talk about. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as, as we well know, it's all changing and we're learning more and, um, you know, the old becomes new and the new becomes old and all of yes. that. <laughs> and the right. cycle continues. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, so, well, Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on today and, and talking about a, a subject that a, probably a lot of people, and particularly men, actually, probably have no idea 
that any of this is out there and that people are studying it or any of these kinds of things, you know? So I well, think it's you my have, pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate the, uh, the information and the, the time and effort that you always spend on um, preparing for our podcast. So thank you. And I will end with my usual spiel here about that. I am not a doctor. And even though Chris, is a naturopath, but this is not still not to be considered as medical advice. Um, if you are having any of these kinds of um, issues, then I would really suggest that you go and talk to your own doctor because they're not going to know unless you tell them. So <laughs> go for it. And um, hopefully if you are having any issues, they can take care of it and, and help you with it. So that is going to be it for today. And I will look forward to talking to all of you next week. Thanks very much, Susan. Thank you for coming on, Chris. This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit HealthyTipsAfter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.